0: Okay, so um, various little kind of mini-series planned this term, uh, but for this week and next week, we're going to think about the line in the Apostles' Creed, he descended to the dead. This week, we're going to think about what it means. Sorry, what it yeah, what it means, what's, what's it all about? And next week, we're going to think about why it matters. So this week, what it means, next week, why it matters. The reason you've not been given any sheets yet, they're up here, is because just for a minute, round tables, um... Any idea what it means? So, loads of you will have said it week by week in the creed. You know, he descended to the dead. Um, I'm not going to get you to feedback okay, case. It's not going to be public shaming. You won't get. You know, but um, yeah. What, first impressions. When you when you so the apostles creed. He was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. So descended to the dead. In some churches, they say descended to hell. One minute over to you. OK, let's come back together. Um, no public triumphs or shaming. Um, if there are two lines of the creed that are most commonly provoke a reaction, it's... Uh, hey, guys. Come and do us. Um, we cook up some space? We've got some space at the end. If you want to join a group that will exist, it more fun. Um, two lines of the creed that provoke most kind of reaction. One is um, we believe in the Holy Catholic Church, does that mean we're Roman Catholics and we talked about that last term? No, it doesn't. The other line is this descended to the dead or descended uh, to hell. Um, you might say, therefore, what is cut it out? You know, we're not sure what it means, cut it out. But it has been part of this creed, this, this, um, both the Apostles' Creed and actually another one called the Athanasian Creed, that have been shared by churches across the denominations, um, Protestant as well as Catholic, every stripe of... Um, you know, Christian on the planet, more or less, has always confessed this. So we probably want to be a little bit careful before we just, you know, kick it into the long grass and forget about it. Uh, more than that, we might say, well, look, not not only is it in the creed, but it's it's something that when you look at the creed, it's something that the early Christians thought was important enough to include in the sort of thirteen or fourteen things they you know they put in they didn't cover everything by any means so maybe it's not just something that might be true in a kind of weird accidental way but actually important um, so today we'll try and work out what it means what they meant by putting it in and whether it's big biblical and next week we'll work out why it matters so you we know, go back round tables again straight away and i want you to look at one passage down there luke 16 19 26 it's the parable of the rich man and Lazarus, the beggar outside the gate. I'm not asking you to work out what is the main point of the parable or what's it all about or whatever. We're focusing much more directly for our purposes today. I just want you to work out what things do these verses teach us about the afterlife? Anything they teach about the afterlife. There's more than one thing, but what can you pull out from uh, that little parable? You don't even need to read the whole parable, but if um, someone on each table reads those verses... And then have a go, four or five minutes, what can you pull out of it about the afterlife? Okay, let's have a little bit of feedback. Hey, what sort of things can we pick out, even just for Luke 16? Yeah. There's two different places, and then there's a separation between. Okay, so you've got two different places, um, the difference being... Okay, so yeah, it's some sort of place of um, punishment, some sort of place of blessing, different names for them. We'll come back to that. Um, there's a. Do you say there's a? a, there's a of separation. Okay, yeah. Basically, they can't cross, can't get between the two. Um, anyone, anyone, pick anything else out? I think there's something else quite striking in there that. It seems there's communication between the two. Yeah, isn't that, isn't that a bit of a surprise? It seems there is communication between the two, so they can't cross. Um, you know Abraham says there's a chasm um, uh, a great chasm being fixed verse 26 um, None may cross from there to us but they are talking it's interesting isn't it they are talking um, th- there's no one passage in the Old Testament that describes how the Israelites up to that point understood the afterlife what happens when you die so you have to sort of Piece it together a little bit from, from clues. I mean, what do people believe come Jesus' day? What do they believe about what happens when he died? Uh, we're to the afterlife in the Bible here, particularly think about the Old Testament. There's actually there's loads of debate about it, but I think you can pick through it relatively, a relatively clear path. Certainly, Old Testament Jews, faithful Jews at least, believed in a day of resurrection. They believed one day there'd be a resurrection from the dead. So on your sheets, I put a verse from Daniel. Uh, multitudes who sleep in the dust of the earth will awake, some to everlasting life, others to shame and everlasting contempt. So one day there'll be this, this day of awakening. They definitely believe that. And you think of, um, we had it at, at Sam's funeral, the reading from uh, John 11, the death of Lazarus and the resurrection. Um, when, when Jesus talked with Martha and says, you, basically, do you believe you'll see your brother again? Do you believe he'll rise again? She says, I know he'll rise in the resurrection at the last day. So, faithful Jews believed there'd be this great day of resurrection, the last day, day of resurrection, when the the, the dead come back to life. Um, That, by the way, is um, one of the kind of arguments about Jesus' resurrection. So, um, there's an Anglican theologian, historian called N.T. Wright, um, who's not helpful on lots of things, but very good on this. And he says... Um, often you hear non-christians saying um oh well of course they believe in the resurrection back in those days the jews the jews were looking for that kind of thing so they were easily fooled by someone fainting and coming back but he points out that actually the jews weren't expecting just individuals to rise from the dead they were expecting one great day when everybody rose from the dead at the end of time so they totally weren't expecting jesus to rise again after just three days okay he's a Faithful guy, maybe you know. If they were, if you were a believer in Jesus, maybe you'd think, yeah, he'd he'd rise again on the last day with all of us. But no one's expecting it just three days later. Anyway, that's a bit of an aside. Big day of resurrection, but that could lead you to think that what happens if you're a Abraham or Hannah or a believer in the Old Testament is that you die. You essentially, I don't know, fall into some sort of stasis or cease to exist or whatever it might be until. The great day of resurrection. So, to title the question, what, what do they believe happened, as it were, the moment after you died? And I think there are enough clues that God had already revealed before Jesus that there was this life that continued straight after death. So, in Genesis, when people like Jacob die, they're described as being gathered to their fathers. Now that's separate from being buried. So you might read about Jacob being gathered to his fathers and then, you know, a good while later, he's buried. So the burial isn't for being gathered to the fathers. He's gathered to his fathers when he dies. So that that seems to imply he's going somewhere. He's not just going to some sort of soul sleep or annihilation for a bit or ceasing to exist. No, he's going to join people. Um, You get the same with David. When his son dies, I will go to him. So he's expecting to see him when he dies. Um, some couple of us were talking about this passage yesterday in a different context but very strangely in the do you remember in the book of Samuel Saul is king he's the first king God uh, appoints and he's making all he's getting everything wrong basically and the prophet Samuel has died and Saul wonders what to do so he goes to a a, a kind of medium a witch Endor and asks her to conjure up um, Saul's soul from the dead spirit from the dead so, not Saul, um, Samuel's spirit from the dead. So King Saul asked the witch to bring back the prophet Samuel. Um, and Samuel appears. Now, whatever on is going on there, and I don't know what's going on there, to be honest. There's all sorts of strange things that go on there. But it shows that they, they believed that the dead were still conscious around, as it were, you see? so Saul clearly thinks there is still Samuel there somewhere. Now, he does totally the wrong thing by going to a witch or a medium or whatever to try and conjure him up. But the belief is there that he's not just disappeared until this great day of resurrection. you might think of Enoch. remember Enoch in Genesis? Walks with God, Genesis 4, and then he he gets taken, he never dies. Or Elijah goes to, at the end of his ministry, instead of dying, he, he gets taken to heaven in a fiery chariot. He doesn't just cease existing for a bit or get put to sleep for a billion years or whatever. put that together with passages like the one you just looked at and it seems that the 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 picture of death looks something like this uh when you die your your body goes to the ground that was understood and jews were always burial people not burning people we might come back to that next week you know i know vikings burned their dead didn't they but the jews always buried their dead they had a high view of the body so the dead is the, the body is buried but your soul lived on and it seems to me that this place now it's given different names and we're not gonna to get too much into the weeds sometimes it's shale you come across this word shale in the old testament sort of place of the dead and sometimes that word is used generically and sometimes more specifically one zone but it seems there's in the place of the dead there are as it were three zones three areas there's the place of the righteous dead in other words the believers Sometimes it's called paradise. In Luke 16, it's called Abraham's bosom, you know, in the the arms of Abraham. Then there's a place of the unrighteous dead, as in the the unbelievers. Again, given different names. That little diagram is stolen from a guy called Matthew Emerson. I didn't credit it, sorry. Um, Matthew Emerson's written a book on this. Um, Sometimes called Gehenna, sometimes Sheol, um, although equally Sheol can sometimes mean the whole thing, so it gets confusing with the names. And then lastly, there's a, it seems too, there's a place for the fallen angels. Um, Just just look at the book of Jude, not a book we tend to speak about much. So last book before Revelation. Jude, it's only one chapter and it is full of strange things. Maybe, well, one day we'll deal with it, but that day's not today. Um, Let's just look at verse six. he's talking about all sorts of problems about pride and all the rest of it and the angels who did not stay within their own position of authority but left their proper dwelling he is kept in eternal chains under gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day you might have you might have kept in prison if depending on what kind of translation you're using but it seems too there's this place of the kind of imprisonment sometimes called tartarus for the um, rebellious angels say so the setup is is as you would sort of pull from really from that that parable we looked at to start with people when they die are still conscious no longer attached to their bodies but conscious existing um in whichever i don't know what the right word is zone area whatever you want to call it compartment um of the dead they belong in whether they're believers or unbelievers. But it does seem again that there is this sort of generic place, just with a chasm between the kind of the zones, as it were. Um, I'll take questions in a moment. But just with that in mind, have a, just flick on to, to Luke. Well, I put the verse on your sheet actually. And, and, and have, where does Jesus go when he dies? Therefore, where does Jesus go when he dies? I put some verses to help you. But if someone said, "Where is Jesus on the Saturday?" Okay, so he dies on a Friday. Where is Jesus on the Saturday? What answer or answers would you give? That, that you don't have to look at those verses, but they're, they're kind of helps if you want them. Okay, let's um, come back together. We'll, have, we'll take, take answers this time. What, what sort of answers can you give? There's more than one thing you could say. Where is Jesus on Saturday? <coughs> In the tomb. Okay, in the tomb. Okay, that is certainly true. Okay, there, there is Jesus. yes, exactly. Banker safe on early um, He is in the ground. Um, well, his body's in the ground. Okay, but also, um, they, uh, I can't do all the passage now. And John thing, but they do say um, they buried him, for example. They don't just talk about burying it, which I think is yeah so it is his body but yes his body he is in the ground at least body there buried what else can we say at least a couple more things we can say okay he's in paradise okay he literally says that today you'll be with me in paradise Um, so he's in paradise whatever that means He's, um, uh, he's he's there and there we'll talk about his soul his human soul today you'll be with the paradise his body's in the ground his body's not in paradise his body's in a rock tomb in jerusalem but he's in paradise with the thief in their human souls what, what else can we say it wasn't in the verses so where else is jesus everywhere yeah whoever said that exactly yeah obviously as god he's still omnipresent and he's dwelling you know beyond the universe, all the rest of it. So um, the reason I just clarify that is what we're talking about at the moment is Jesus according to his human nature, okay? So he's always the son of God and it's always the son of God that that does everything. You can't split Jesus into human Jesus and God Jesus, otherwise you'd end up with two Jesuses. Um, But Jesus, because he is God and man, he does some things, he, the son of God, does some things in his human nature and some things in his divine nature, So he dies in his human nature. God is immortal, isn't he? Remember, one, two, three, the immortal God. God can't die. So Jesus has to take a body, has to become man in order that he might die. So he dies in his human nature. Not human Jesus dies, that's two Jesus again, but the son of God dies in his human nature. I know, you know, we haven't got time for a whole kind of Christology session now, but thinking about Jesus as man, body in the ground, soul in paradise. Or to use that little diagram, he's in the place of the, the righteous dead, paradise, Abraham's bosom, call it um, what you like. Well, not whatever you like, but <laughs> call, it, call it a number of options from uh, the Bible. This is what the descent is getting at. He descended the dead, is getting at the idea that Jesus, so he crucified, died, was buried. There's the body. And then he descended to the place of the dead. Um, let's look at some, some verses. Acts 2. In his soul, Jesus descends to the place of the dead and rises again on the third day. So, Acts 2. <clears throat> Peter preaching on the day of Pentecost, and he quotes um, Psalm 16. Uh, Let me read verse 25. David says, so David wrote the psalm. David says concerning Jesus, I saw the Lord always before me. He's at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore, my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh um, also will dwell in hope. For you, this is Jesus speaking, you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. You've killed him, Peter says to the Jews in verse 23. But remember Psalm 16, where David says, and David is speaking almost like as if he is Jesus, prophetically. David says, and therefore Jesus says, you won't abandon my soul to Hades. One conclusion, <laughs> Jesus' soul must be in Hades. You're not going to leave me in Hades. He knows he will rise again. And it's the resurrection that brings the um, being in Hades to an end. So that, that's one of, the kind of the, one of the main passages that that our kind of forefathers went to when they were trying to explain what they meant by descended to the dead um come on to ephesians 4 we're going to skip oh uh, let let me try and do these in order actually um romans 10 i'll try and do them in bible order rather than any other order romans 10 verse 7 let me go from verse six but the righteousness based on faith says do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven that is to bring christ down or who will descend into the abyss that is to bring christ up from the dead again whatever else is going on in this whole kind of section um, do you have to, to in order to get righteous do you have to climb up to heaven and pull christ down do you need to go into the dead and pull him up the abyss no (laughs) um he's already done that but either way just by implication christ the man who came from heaven descended not just to earth but even to the abyss that place as it were under the earth when we talk about under the earth we don't need to think that if you could get a drill you'd literally find it any more than um now if you've got a rocket you can go to heaven kind of thing but the bible uses kind of spatial language to help us understand things so I'll keep talking about under, but it doesn't mean literally, you know, down there somewhere. Above, heavens above, earth in between, the abyss below. Um, Ephesians four. I'm just going to give you a couple more. I'm going to do all of them. Ephesians four. Ephesians four. We'll go from verse eight. Again, speaking about Jesus, therefore it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he'd also descended to the lower regions. Now, depending on, again, all sorts of different English versions, but it's lower regions of the earth is how the, if you read that naturally, lower regions of the earth. Um, The lower regions aren't the earth. It is the lower regions of the earth, as in, even lower the, the depths of the earth before he ascends he's descended right down to the lower regions and when he, when he leaves those lower regions he leaves with a whole load of captives we'll think about what that means next week same pattern he's on high he descends not just to earth but descends to the dead the lower regions and then he ascends see, after his resurrection right up to glory and then last one, we'll do one last one, 1 Peter 3. Um, this is a difficult passage. And this whole descend of the dead doctrine doesn't hang on it by any means. Sometimes um, there's a guy called Wayne Grudem who's written an article, that's very popular in the evangelical world, um, saying that this passage, 1 Peter 3 18, isn't talking about descending to the dead, therefore we should get rid of the whole doctrine. Um, First of all, I think it is talking about descending to the dead. But even if it wasn't, the whole doctrine doesn't hang on one passage here. So, it, yeah, it wasn't a very helpful article. But it was popular. <laughs> Verse 18, 1 Peter 3, 18. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. And here, here's the pattern. Being put to death in the flesh... But made alive in the spirit in which or during which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison because they formerly did not obey when God's patience waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared in which a few that his eight persons were brought safely through the water. Baptism which corresponds to this now saves you not as a removal of dirt from the body but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ who has gone into heaven and is the right hand of God with angels authorities and powers having been made subject to them. Now, look, there's all sorts of stuff going on there that we're not going to get into, the angels and all the rest of it, Noah. But um, if, you, if you look at the big picture of the passage, it begins with the dying, doesn't it? So he dies in verse, um, he's put to death uh, in verse 18. The resurrection doesn't come until verse, oh goodness, where is it? Um, end of verse 21. Verse 21. And then you get the ascension in verse 22. In between, so death at the beginning, end of verse 18, verse 21, resurrection, verse 22, ascension. In between, you've got this strange being in the spirit and proclaiming to the spirits in prison. Um, Now, some people say, oh, what he's talking about is something that Jesus did in the days of Noah, like right back in the days of the Old Testament. That, though, seems a bit strange um, if, if the order is, don't you remember, Jesus died, then he did this thing, then he rose, then he ascended. If the, this thing in the middle is something he actually did uh, how a thousand years ago, before he even came to earth with Noah, it seems an like odd sort of ordering of things. It seems better to, to read it as a thing that Jesus did, speaking to these, prison, these spirits who'd rebelled during the days of Noah, whoever they are, between his death and his resurrection. And in fact, every other, I mean, I don't want to be too technical, but um, in verse 19, um, so he's made alive in the spirit, so the spirit is alive, body dead, spirit alive, in which he went and proclaimed. That little in which it is always a time phrase in, uh, in 1 Peter's letter. So it doesn't mean in which, as in in the spirit, it means sort of in which time. I put the verses on your sheet, basically you can translate it when. Um, but every other time, Peter uses that little expression, little Greek expression, he means when, during that time, throughout the letter. What I think Peter is getting at, and again, it's by no means novel to me, but what I think Peter is getting at is this, that Jesus dies in the flesh, he died, body dead. He's alive in the spirit though, still. Okay, there's no... Didn't cease to exist or destroyed for three days or anything like that. He goes, as you know from elsewhere, to this place, Hades, the place of the dead, and there he proclaims his victory. That the preaching word, the proclaimed word in verse nineteen, is not the word for evangelize. Some, sometimes in one Peter he talks about preaching the gospel and he uses a totally different word. I mean, it's, it's a Greek verb, evangelo. You can hear it, evangelize, but that's not the word he uses here. This is more a kind of heralding word, announcing word so it's not that jesus dies goes to the place of the dead and then evangelizes everybody in hell or something like that rather he proclaims his victory that, that's the idea so it's not of kind of second chance after after death there's loads of sort of odd details in 1 peter 3 which we can spend hours on and we're definitely not going to so let me try let's try and sort of surface for air if you've got a bit lost uh, what aren't we saying what are we saying what it doesn't mean when we say Jesus descended to the dead, we are not saying he went to hell. Okay? The, 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 the word is descended to the dead as in the dead people. It's not even dead as in um, a place. Uh, I've been to Leeds, I've been to Manchester, I've been to the dead as if it's like a zone. Um, it's descended to the dead, among the dead people. And it is definitely not hell. Okay, so really unhelpful. It never was meant to be hell. Some, in some churches it's translated as hell for boring Latin reasons, um, but it's just unhelpful. descended to the dead Jesus doesn't suffer in hell for three days we know that because on the cross he cried it is finished all the wrath bearing sort of anger bearing was finished on the cross so definitely not going to hell neither is Jesus going to give a second chance to people who who died before he came it's not a post-mortem evangelical or evangelistic event now I put down there on the sheet a question from the Heidelberg Catechism The Heidelberg Academy is brilliant, but in the Reformation, because by that stage the Roman Catholic Church was often talking about hell and had these quite weird ideas at times of Jesus going to literal hell and sometimes rescuing people and sometimes rescuing like good philosophers they liked who weren't you know believers like um, Aristotle or whatever. Um, some of the reformers seemed sort of almost overcorrected. So the Heidelberg Catechism, and Calvin does something similar, when when they answer the question, what does it mean that he descended to hell, hell, they explain it like this, in my greatest sorrows and temptations, I may be assured and comforted that my Lord Jesus Christ, by his unspeakable anguish, pain, terror and agony, which he endured through all his sufferings, but especially on the cross, has delivered me from the anguish and torment of hell. Calvin and Cohen said, well, that he descended to hell means on the cross he went through hell as it were not as a location journey but he suffered hell now that is true isn't it he, he did go through god's anger at the cross and god's anger is um, experienced by people who don't believe in hell so it's it's true everything that catechism says is true but it's just true about the cross not the descended to the dead bit So possibly, what are we saying? Why did they put it in? Well, we're going to come to why next week, actually. But what, what does it mean? Jesus really died. okay? Like, like anyone you know who has died, he really died in the same way. Not the rock bearing, obviously, but he died in the same way. Body and soul torn apart. His body buried, and his human soul goes to the place of the, the dead. But the righteous zone, paradise, Abraham's bosom, um, yeah. Um, likely, but we'll come back to this next week, he there proclaimed his victory. Um, we'll come back to that next week, really. Um, Do you know what? I'm going to stop there. I'm going to stop there. Any questions? Any questions um, at this stage? You may well be thinking, so what, or who cares, or whatever. That's fine. Come back next week. But just on the kind of what. Oh, no. <laughs> Peter. I was just going to say, Jotty, yeah. is there a... Because people might have been tickled in their interest or castles from Jude and Peter. <laughs> is there a particular commentary which would be accessible to Jude and Peter? On, on Jude and One Peter? Yeah, but you're probably not Gruden, for what you've said. Yeah, I, I, off the top of my head, I don't know. Because Paul Gardner is one. I haven't read it, but... There we go, try Paul Gardner. Um, yeah, it may well be good. I like okay. thought that would be helpful. May well be. There is a book, if you particularly want to read... say Matthew Emerson, E M E R S O N. He's got a book on what does it mean he descended to the dead, which which is really helpful I think. And if you can't go to read it, I bet he's written articles or online or something like that so you can get the short course. But don't do it before next week because. Um, yeah. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I. You, there's elements of saying. Did, did, sometimes people say, "Did Jesus experience um, what people in hell experience on the cross?" And I want to say, largely yes. Um, there is a some difference in that he knows he's righteous, whereas people in hell know they're not. He knows it'll end for them; they don't. Won't. So that you you could be really tight and say there's a little bit of difference, but a fundamental idea that hell is the place of God's judgment. Jesus took God's judgment on the cross. Absolutely true, penal substitution atonement, just not what he descended the dead means. Yeah. Hi, Mandy. Yeah. Can I just, in a very cross way, think to say that he went to gloat? He went to what? <laughs> to gloat. Yeah, well, yeah, I mean, I wouldn't know gloat, but um, yeah, yeah. like, yes. Absolutely. Yeah. Yes. So just, just it's triumph, not evangelism. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Yeah. But we'll come back to that next next week. Okay. You. So I, I've tried to not include that too much in this bit because you could tease out what happened. So a bit like in the creed, we just say he died. We don't say he died to pay the penalty for our sins, bearing the wrath of God. You know, there's not there's often not interpretation in the creed. So you you could confess the creed while disagreeing about why Jesus died. I think probably, obviously but so similarly here all I've been trying to do is just explain what does it literally mean that he descended the dead and then next week we'll get on to okay wh- why what was the point what was he actually doing yeah but yes it's a bit of a foretaste yeah, and, yeah Becky the soul Br- brilliant questions for next week that's one of the things it does it one of of the reasons that the line is in there very likely is to show that at the very least you can distinguish soul and body. Um, Because if all you are is a one, I don't know what the right word is, kind of a one substance thing, then if your body's in the ground, that's it. I mean, There's only one answer to the question, where is Jesus? In the ground. Whereas at the very least, this is showing us there's two, two parts to you, body and soul. Huh? I'm not answering it sort of yeah yeah, <laughs> it's <a massive> question. <laughs> yeah it is a big question okay, last one and then we better go Ah, oh, next week nothing actually I'll do the short one now I don't think there's anything so soul, spirit I think they're used basically interchangeably yeah, yeah. good um, come out next week when Nick's going to explain why it matters and uh, <laughs> um, what's going on let me pray Lord Jesus, we pray that uh, as our great prophet and teacher, you would open our eyes where we're blind, enlighten our minds where they're dark, and pray um, this morning uh, as we head to worship that you would lift our hearts to, again, see the, uh, the grace and wonder of all that you've done for us. Pray for the Lerman family as their um, children are baptised, that today will be a particular day of grace and blessing to them. And when we put all our, our hope in life and death, um, we pray, Lord Jesus, on all that you have done for us, body and soul. Amen.